0: You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording. And lines are now closed.
1: I seek refuge with Allah from Satan, the accursed, in the name of Allah, the gracious of us, will peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to the breakfast show at the Voice of Islam the Imam Tukir Tanvir and myself, Badi Dham, at the time uh, is approaching, well, it's uh, gone past uh, three minutes past seven and approaching seven uh, four. It's Friday, 21st of July, 2023. Uh, The breakfast show is an interactive broadcast. It means that our listeners have the opportunity to call in and share their thoughts uh, with us on anything that we may be discussing. The number to dial is 0208-687-7878. Alternatively, you can use the more modern method of uh, tweeting. uh, And the Twitter handle is Voice of Islam. UK. Uh, In a few minutes time we'll uh, begin with a rundown of the weather before going on to examine some of the news stories that are doing the rounds these days both within the community and in the wider uh, community as well. Uh, We'll try and get through as many as we can during the first half hour and as mentioned before if you want to have your input you're most welcome Uh, The number to dial uh, mentioned before, 0208-687-7878. Those familiar with the show will know that um, uh, we select two topics, two stories that uh, we tend to spend uh, more time on. Uh, Today we are looking at the issue of uh, the continued uh, provocation uh, that seems to be uh, taking place from time to time the provocation uh, of of, uh, sentiments of Muslims by extremist cranks under the cover of freedom, Uh, many would uh, become aware of the public burning of the Holy Quran that took place recently. So we shall be looking at this and uh, its ramifications under the heading of our first main topic, which is offensive but not illegal uh, NATO uh, Chief Jens uh, Stoltenberg on uh, Sweden uh, Quran burning. Uh, and we'll be looking at this subject with the help uh, from uh, Imam Kashif, uh, who is from S- uh, Sweden. So he'll be, uh, uh, Kashif will be uh, uh, joining us hopefully um, uh, later on during the course of the program to uh, lend his expertise on uh, on this particular issue. Uh, And as far as our second topic is concerned, we'll be considering the challenges faced by boys boys and the fact that they are all uh, victims, also victims of depression. So the subject we'll be addressing is quite simply, boys experience depression differently than girls. It's an intriguing uh, topic and, uh, well, we'll be discussing this among ourselves and uh, if you can uh, also... Join in uh, if you have any expertise on this or any experience uh, regarding this particular topic. We'd like to hear from you, and as always, we'll have uh, the uh, Islamic um, uh, view to all that we discuss uh, from our resident Imam uh, Toki Tanvir, and he'll be uh, kicking off, uh, kicking us off with the uh, uh, with the uh, first segment of the show
0: as alaikum peace be upon all our listeners, uh, we hope that you're having a fantastic day, fantastic start to the day um, and uh, what better way to start the day than by listening to the weather and the weather forecast for today, this from BBC weather, is that this morning will be dry with extensive sunshine in the afternoon, patchy cloud will develop leaving the chance of uh, the odd sharp shower and this evening any showers will e- uh, will ease, giving away to a dry night with mostly clear skies throughout. Uh, there will be moderate western breeze, So, I mean, there is chance of uh, rain as well. So, uh, just in case, you know, do have an umbrella with you. Uh, because right now, the, the weather is uh, very good. You know, the sun is shining here in Morden. Um, but yeah, just, just have an umbrella with you. Just uh, Just be careful when you do go out. Uh, and that is the weather. Uh, so, brother Ureed, if I may, I'll start off uh, with the uh,
1: cricket. With the cricket? Are you going to say anything about the cricket? No, 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 <laughs> okay. uh, not the, not the cricket. Yeah.
0: I was, uh, I was going to start on Jalsa, really. Oh, okay. Very, uh, the Jalsa brilliant. vibes are here, so uh, mm. that's, uh, that's what I wanted to cover. Um, have you read this article on Al Hakam, uh, His Holiness Hazam uh, Hazim Suramad, head of the MD the Muslim community he explains some of his uh, fond memories of uh, of Jalsa back in those days in Rawalpindi oh. um, and uh, you know so Asif uh, Asif Mahmood Bassi sahib who is uh, who is the um you know he's the in charge of Al-Hakam uh, he he notes that uh, during his conversation with his holiness um his Holiness, he talked about his duties, the uh, the times where he served uh, in the Langar Khana. and Langar Khana meaning the food area, the the kitchen itself in in Rawal in Pakistan. So His Holiness, um, he said that my jalsa duty was in Langar Khana where the chapatis were cooked. Chapatis meaning the 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 bread uh, which we used to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, food with and he goes that clay ovens blazing uh, blazing day and night would fill the hole with heat a certain person who was in charge of our duty would pass put us to work and wander off but officials of uh, Jalsa had a very keen eye and would know all those who worked hard and would encourage them in various ways and the 3rd the Caliph of the amdi Muslim Qutiyazm is a and May Allah the Almighty have mercy on him He would join the entire Jalsa workforce for a dinner after Jalsa and everyone sat on the floor even uh, His Holiness would join the workers in this seating arrangement and after one Jalsa I suffered from a headache and <clears throat> I had only just uh, laid down to take some rest when our home phone rang it was mir dawdamat um on the other side and he was the the in charge of of the chalsa salana and in those days and he asked why I wasn't at the reception with with the with his holiness and i told him about my headache and also that the person in charge of duty had not told me if i was meant to attend and to this um uh, mir dawdamat he replied that whatever the case was i had I had worked day and night throughout the this Jalsa, and should most certainly attend, and so I did. And he said that such were the officials that Mir Dawood Ahmed, he would not sign off Jalsa-related announcement with his official title of uh, of Sir Jalsa Salana, but would instead he would write Khadim Jalsa Salana, meaning. A servant of Jalasalana, rather than writing in charge of Jalasalana, you write a servant of Jalasalana, and he said that these are the example that officials should follow, knowing who works under them and showing them appreciation for those who put all their energies into their assignment, assigned tasks, and officials who think of themselves as being the service of the people and not their masters. Uh, so you know this. This was a beautiful example. His holiness he mentioned that how as an in charge, you know, uh, and, he, and he gives the example of a uh, very pious man within the community that he himself, he would not write in charge, but actually would write servant uh, instead. Um, and not only that, but realizing the the key workers within within the department and encouraging them, appreciating them that look, uh, now that his holiness is there you you should also be here so um you know he encouraged uh he encouraged uh, uh, the the workers that you know they should come and also partake in those uh, blessed moments where they do have those nearness with his holiness so it's it's uh, it's a very beautiful um I think guidance for all of us really that when we are Serving in an in you know where they are when we are serving in a capacity as a subordinate or an or an in charge, then we should take we should we should take heed you know to, as a as an in charge we we should uh, look after our subordinates and as a subordinate you know we should be blessed that Allah the Almighty has given us that opportunity to serve. Uh brother, the, um to your surprise I've actually I was in Hadikatul Mehdi all day yesterday.
1: Well um, I'm not surprised I know how hard working you <laughs> yeah. are. <laughs> yeah so um uh huh did you bring a souvenir or something?
0: Uh only only dust a lot <laughs> of dust and <laughs> right. and mud. So
1: uh, what's the site like? You know, uh, one Yeah it's
0: it's uh, it's a lot bigger now so so uh-huh. the the community now is um uh, is is planning to accommodate guests over fifty thousand. So according to that, you can see the site area is a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the ladies' side, it's mm-hmm. it's become a lot bigger, and you can see where the boundary was last year, and it's it's covering even that place. Right. And last year, that place where it used to be the car park, mm-hmm. you know, the ladies' marquee has now. Uh, it's crossed that line, so you, you know, you can tell that uh, already, you know, the community is preparing uh, for a bigger mm-hmm. Bigger event with a lot more people um, But it was just uh, I, so I myself I was there because of the uh, part of the MD Muslim Youth Association and um, Because there's a lot of tasks that need to be done um uh, the flooring needs to be done. The carpet needs to be laid out. Mm. Uh, you know, sometimes there's yeah, like yesterday there was a very big delivery of duvets and pillows for all the guests of the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him. So you know, we had to arrange them um, in really big lorries. So we had to arrange them. Um, but it's it's just the vibe, you know. With, with mm. Every everyone is there, so and the atmosphere, uh, the, the atmosphere is, is amazing. Yeah. I, I even. Mm. I even uh, had taken some rotis from the oh, roti plant, you know. Right. I'm mm-hmm. sorry I didn't bring you one. No, no, sorry. <laughs> do Do you like Do you like the roti plant? Roti no, no. Plant, I've don't.
1: been told by by doctor to be uh, very careful as oh, to how okay. many chapatis I eat. Oh, okay, okay. I've been restricted to one. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, each meal, yeah. So maybe two a day, uh, but uh, there is a special. Uh, what is it, um, taste that is associated with those that are uh, cooked in the machine.
0: I always wanted to ask you about um, your days as well, um, growing up, uh, and uh, the the Jalsa that used to take place here in the UK. Mm. Um, How was that feeling uh, when it used to take place in Islamabad?
1: Islamabad, well, the first Jalsa that took place was during the... um, um, spring months, so it was April, I think, mm. and um, we it rained, and uh, so there was a lot of uh, mud that we had to deal with, mm. and uh, from that uh, experience, we decided to move the jalsa to the summer, mm. rather continue to have it, rather than have it uh, during the spring months. I remember that experience very well. Uh, a lot of hair had to be brought mm, in mm. in order to enable people to be move around. Uh, less cars in those days. Uh, the uh, More difficulty, certainly, uh, in those days to get volunteers um, and enough volunteers and uh, volunteers regularly. So that was always a challenge. Mm, mm. Uh, and it used to be the same people coming again and again. Mm. Um, but um, it was always an exciting and interesting experience, but uh, the community has grown, and uh, we uh, used to have jalsas in the grounds of um, the London mosque uh, in the uh, 70s, and we used to think uh, what a great big event we've Mm. had, Mm. and then uh, as numbers grew, we uh, Extended uh, the um, uh, the sites mm-hmm. to uh, other places. Um, when we got uh, Islamabad, that was a twenty-five acre site, and we thought, well, how are we going to fill this? Mm. Uh, and uh, soon that became small, <laughs> and now we've got a two hundred acre site, which it. is also going to be uh, soon uh, going to be uh, too small for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. It's just an uh, indication of how the community is growing, both in numbers and also in, in its expertise, to be able to organise something like uh, like this event. Absolutely. it's a very very big event. Uh, Absolutely, and it's um, is not surprising that uh, <clears throat> um, many visitors who do come, non-members of the community, uh, are taken aback by by the uh, sheer extent. Mm. Uh, of the organization that is involved. It is uh, a huge affair. So, and it is one that we believe is full of blessings, and therefore that's why we have so many volunteers, so many people from all walks of life Absolutely. Uh, working together. You know, we have uh, doctors and consultants and engineers working with the ordinary laborers, Absolutely. you know, Absolutely. hand in hand. Uh, so it's a remarkable, remarkable. The event from that point of view as well
0: Absolutely, and I, I just wanted to urge the listeners as well that during the uh, Jalsa we will be having our exhibition as well, the Vakfino uh, exhibition and uh, do benefit from our website as well Vakfino Intel um, on Twitter and so and Instagram on our social media platforms we're giving daily updates uh, with regards to the Jalsa as well so do <coughs> stay in tune for that
1: Yes, certainly. Um, and we will be broadcasting as well, won't we, on The Voice of Islam yeah, yeah, from we'll the
0: site. From the site next yes. week, next yeah. week, Friday. So looking yeah. forward to that.
1: Absolutely. Anyway, um, uh, as far as other news is concerned, uh, people uh, closer to my age uh, are having, well, it's not just uh, people closer to my age, but uh, mainly people closer to my age are having to address the challenges of um, dementia. And uh, uh, recently there has been uh, a breakthrough as far as treatment is concerned, particularly of Alzheimer's disease. A new drug is on the scene. Uh, preliminary tests uh, may have given uh, enough confidence to... Uh, the NHS and regulators to incorporate it in its treatment for Alzheimer's. Uh, The National Institute for Health and Care Excellence has already started work on its appraisal of the drug for treating mild cognitive impairment or mild dementia caused by Alzheimer's. Uh, The drug is called Donanabab and has been uh, proved to uh, slow cognitive decline by up to 60%. Uh, it appears to achieve this by destroying the build-up of protein called amyloid in the brains of Alzheimer's sufferers. manufacturers, Eli Lilly and Co, published the final results of his trial uh, with the drug involving a case study of about 1,700 patients. Uh, and this was published in the Journal of American Medical Association. There is much excitement in the medical field about this uh, particular find. Dr. Richard Oakley, Associate Director of Research and Innovation at Alzheimer's Society, said dementia is the biggest killer in the U.K., and over 60% of people living with dementia are thought to have Alzheimer's disease. This is truly a turning point, So the fact that a drug is found to slow down uh, the process. Uh, He says that it's a truly turning point, and science is proving that it is possible to slow down the disease. Treatments like the Nanobab are the first steps towards a future where Alzheimer's disease could be considered a long-term condition alongside diabetes or asthma. People may have to live with it, but they could have treatments that allow them to effectively manage their symptoms. And that's the quote from uh, Dr. Richard Oakley. Uh, And just to give you some background, more than 900,000 people in the UK suffer from dementia, the majority of whom are Alzheimer's sufferers. Uh, symptoms typically develop in the mid-60s or, or later, and diagnosis before 65 is considered an early onset. Uh, a similar uh, drug, uh, lacanumab, uh, has also shown similar results and was recently approved in the U.S. It appears that we are, all, uh, we are well on the road to tackling this illness. And once again confirms uh, this particular find, confirms that saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that for every disease there is a cure. Uh, And yesterday the the Times was also reporting detection of Alzheimer's via a simple blood test. So it can be something that um, could be detected very early on. Uh, in a very um, through a very through very simple means, uh, much of the airways today or this morning has been taken up by the by-elections. Uh, the dire state of the current uh, government has again been exposed uh, when we find that it is done poorly in these elections, uh, where. Huge majorities that it used to have have been overturned. The elections uh, were in Uxbridge and South uh, Ryslip. This was the uh, seat of uh, Mr. Boris Johnson, our former Prime Minister, forced to resign following a damning report by the Privilege Committee, con- uh, confirming that he had lied to Parliament. So that uh, seat was retained, retained by the Conservatives, but only just. Uh, apparently by four hundred ninety-five votes, and it appears that um, the London mayor's Eula's uh, policy was very much uh, uh, um, was very much a contributive factor in uh, reducing the um, votes that could be uh, attained by by a Labour, potential Labour voter. So it was a it was something that. Um, uh, enabled the Conservatives to retain that seat, and it was something that was mentioned by the by the winner in his uh, in his acceptance speech. Uh, the other uh, constituencies were one in uh, Somerton and Frome. Now that was won by the uh, Lib Dems. Uh, the uh, incumbent uh, David Warburton resigned after admitting, admitting taking uh, cocaine. Uh, And finally, we had uh, Selby and Einstein. That was won by Keir Mesa, who is uh, 25, uh, um, Labour, and he's going to be the youngest uh, MP uh, in the House of Commons. Uh, uh, I think the the term is baby of the House of Commons. Uh, The seat, in fact, had been represented by Nigel Adams, who resigned after his name did not appear in the honours list, apparently. So this is what is being said. So that's uh, the by-elections. Uh, and uh, um, it shows, demonstrates um, how well uh, Labour are doing and um, the task ahead for the Conservatives if they are going to do uh, make any progress uh, in the forthcoming election, which is likely to be in about 12 to uh, 18 months' time. Uh, another story that uh, is certainly... Um, Uh, agitating the minds of of many, um, is um, the BBC license fee. Um, The BBC license fee was introduced in 1946, uh, before I was born. It cost two pounds. This was a time where the BBC had a monopoly on television. Uh, There were no terrestrial uh, competitors like Channel 4 or ITV, and no satellite channels either. Now, with the same fee at £159 pounds and expected to rise to 172 and the consumer spoiled for choice, the government is uh, undertaking a formal review on how the service should be funded. And one of the favoured alternatives is to have a partial subscription model where some premium content is paid for while the bulk of the BBC's output remains free advertising has also been considered and the BBC's Royal Chart is up for renewal in 2027, by which time a decision would have been made. I don't know what your views are, but we'd uh, be interested in uh, hearing them. If you have any and if you want to share them, uh, the number to ring is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. Now, another uh, uh, story that certainly was um, something uh, very controversial, especially for um, Labour supporters and the Labour Party, was uh, regarding the child benefit cap. Now, uh, young families would be aware that uh, there is a child benefit cap, where the benefit is given to eligible families for the first two children only and not beyond. Now, this restriction was introduced by the Conservative government And repeatedly, this is what is uh, so amazing, it was repeatedly opposed by Labour and uh, its front uh, bench. Uh, Angela Rayner, for example, its deputy leader, called the policy uh, obscene. Shadow Works and Prinsions Secretary John Ashworth described it as heinous. Yet, to the surprise of many, including those of um, his party, Keir Starmer, the leader, announced that he would not drop the policy, in other words, he would retain the policy. Uh, This has caused much consternation in the party, MPs like uh, Anas uh, Sarwar, Labour's leader in Scotland, expressed uh, his dismay, as did Stella Creasy, who castigated the deputy leader Angela Rayner for caving in. And um, to his defence, I suppose, because we have to show balance uh, on the voice of Islam, Now, Keir Starmer is arguing that the state of the economy is likely to inherit if he wins the next election cannot warrant such expenditure. Uh, His government needs to show that it is fiscally credible. Labour cite Liz Truss's example as proof that risks of unfunded uh, spending um, can bring havoc to the country. Abolishing the cap would cost around 1.3 billion a year, rising to 2.5 billion over time, uh, as more children are involved. Um, th- there are other concerns that are being expressed, uh, and uh, this uh, is very much something more fundamental. Uh, with abandoning promises on green energy, abolishing uh, tu- tuition fees, any promise uh, to abolish tuition fees, abandoning that policy, Uh, and also the possibility of the retention of barges to accommodate asylum seekers. Many are wondering if the choice that Labour would be offering would just be another Tory government wrapped up in Labour's clothing. At least Jeremy Corbyn, despite his uh, failings, offered something that was substantially different and a proper choice, and it was a properly costed economic policy. So people are concerned, uh, the electorate is concerned, as to the choice it will have or likely to have in the next general election uh, of two parties that are very, very similar and um, whether it would be worth uh, voting uh, at all. Um, One uh, particular um, individual is uh, very much dismayed by Labour's stance uh, is Jamie Driscoll he's the, uh, he was the uh, mayor he is a mayor uh, for the north uh, of Tyne region he was a labor mayor but now an uh, he announced that he's leaving the party uh, he's uh, standing as an independent uh, because of the so many u-turns that um, are being uh, being taken by by the party aligning them more to the policies that are being pursued by the ruling party that we have. Uh, and one uh, final uh, story, very quickly, is regarding foreign workers. I wanted to mention this uh, because um, it's a bit of um, uh, what is it? Um, a, a salutary lesson that is in here. Uh, after spending much effort during the Brexit, Brexit campaign and subsequently decrying foreigners coming into this country and taking our jobs and for the need to take back control, it, is eventually, it has eventually uh, come to dawn on us all uh, as to how useful though these foreigners are to our economy. Not only restrictions after Brexit have deprived us of vital workers in agriculture and other industries, our construction industry is also suffering. And this week the government uh, has changed its own rules to make it easier for construction companies to hire those very foreign workers that were supposedly taking our jobs, uh, so they've changed those rules. Uh, and now bricklayers, masons, roofers, tillers, slaters, carpenters, joiners and plasterers will be brought in to plug shortages. The Migration uh, Advisory Committee is expected to recommend further relaxation of visa rules to make it easier to employ foreign workers in the hospital industry. Many argue that there is always merit in working together. This will enrich our mutual prosperity, which will not be accessible if we try to go it alone. Others still argue that sovereignty is key. We need to be free to do what we want, when we want, how we want, without being shackled to foreign bureaucracy, even if it means sacrificing our prosperity as a result. Do you agree or don't you agree? Do you have a different point of view? Uh, we'd like to hear from you. 208 is the number or you can tweet us uh, on Voice of Islam UK. Now let's uh, move on to the um, first of our main stories. It's regarding this uh, very provocative event uh, that took place um, in Sweden. And uh, the question we are examining is, Holy Quran's uh, burning, should it be illegal? Uh, Something that was picked up, uh, that could have been picked up from many different sources, but uh, we picked it up on First Post. And the gist of the story is relating to a statement by um, uh, NATO chief Jens uh, Stoltenberg, who spoke out on the burning of uh, the Quran in Sweden saying that the burning was offensive and objectionable, but not illegal. However, the NATO chief urged for uh, a compromise over Sweden's accession to uh, NATO. Uh, the United States on Thursday said it condemned the burning of a Quran outside a mosque, and, um, uh, but added that issuing the permit for demonstration supported freedom of expression and was not an endorsement of the action. So there's a difference between uh, permission and endorsement. Uh, Speaking to members of his Justice and Development Party, Erdogan, uh, this is the um, um, leader of Turkey, equated those who permitted a crime to those who perpetuated uh, it. Swedish police allowed the protests outside a mosque in central Stockholm, citing freedom of speech after a court overturned a ban on a similar Qur'an burning. Uh, A man tore up and burnt uh, a copy outside Stockholm's Central Moscow Wednesday, the first day of the Muslim uh, Eid al holidays, an action that angered Turkey, who's backing Sweden, uh, needs to gain entry to the uh, um, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO, in other words. Speaking at a daily press briefing, State Department spokesman, uh, Matt Miller said, Washington believes the demonstration created an environment of fear that effectively curbs the ability of Muslims to practice their religion freely. I will say that we do condemn uh, this, uh, Miller said. We believe, he went on to say, the demonstration created an environment of fear that will impact the ability of Muslims and members of other religions, uh, religious minority groups from freely exercising their right to freedom of religion or belief in Sweden. And uh, I can see from my screen that we have um, the uh, um, first of our contributors uh, or experts uh, to talk about this. It's uh, uh, Mr. Kashif Virik, Imam Kashif Virik, who's our missionary in uh, Sweden. Uh, Assalamu alaikum. Thank you very much for joining us on the breakfast show.
2: Wa alaikum
1: Imam Virik, can you hear me?
2: Yes, my voice is. I think there's uh, something uh, not
1: quite right. Asalaamu Alaikum, Imam Malik. Hello. Oh, I can just barely hear you very faintly. You're coming through. Asalaamu Alaikum. I can hear you clearly. Okay, thank you. Um, Can you first of all start off by telling us about your view on the burning of the Quran and what impact has it had on, on society?
2: It's had, uh, had a de- devastating uh, impact. Uh, burning of holy scriptures do not uh, represent a critique of religion, rather it is hate speech and uh, it divides society and it uh, it actually emboldens extremists on both sides. So it has hurt, uh, it has tarnished Sweden's image globally and uh, nationally. So we see it with a very worrying development indeed.
1: So, you live in Sweden. I mean, w- what is the reaction of the public? What have you found? Uh, are they mainly supportive of this, or do they find this a bit embarrassing?
2: Well, uh, the, the most of the people who are who behind these Quran burnings are not uh, born in Sweden.
1: Uh-huh. They
2: are uh, either immigrants or they travel here to do their uh, manifestation. So, this does not represent the opinion of the Swedish public. More and more people are starting to speak up against about it. But yes, there is, of course, need to be clarification in the Swedish law so that uh, these, uh, mm-hmm. the abuse of freedom of speech does not take place.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, are there calls for that in Sweden? Or is that
2: uh, very. Yes, failed? more and more people are starting to speak up academics, professors, journalists that so this uh-huh. needs to be done. Uh, but unfortunately, we have a very weak uh, government, who is at the hands of a right-wing party, which uh, will not uh, let them to do this. But uh, so, the, because of the political uh, situation, and also our need to accession, uh, this is taking time.
1: Mm-hmm. So, one more question for me, and then Imam Taki would want to ask you some questions. Um, uh, and the question I want to uh, end with is. Uh, is this that despite the world modernizing in many ways and becoming accepting, why why do you think that uh, Islamophobia is still present in this day and age?
2: Well, uh, uh, it has uh, been there for centuries uh, because of the exchange of East and West and unfortunately the prejudice and the wrong uh, information of Islam persist. hmm in spite of our work, so we need to step up as Ahmadis, Muslims, and other Muslims as well, to present the beautiful teaching of Islam to the West in a very forceful and in convincing manner. So then it will, of course, and also we need to encourage Muslims to uh, to integrate into these societies and become helpful citizens. We cannot remain in our Eastern thinking whilst living here. I mean by that. That uh, if we want to live here, we should stay loyal to our faith, of course, but we should also integrate into the society and follow its laws and and respect its tradition. Mm. So that divide has need to be uh, be uh, lessened.
1: No, no, thanks very much. Yes, Imam here
0: uh, Salaam alaikum Imam uh, Kashif. Hope you're having a good day. Um, I wanted to generally ask you, uh, with regards to this event of the burning of the Holy Quran as well. Do you think that whenever such incidents do occur as well, do you think that the media they blow this these news up out of proportion? Do, do you think they uh, they themselves are uh, highlight it um, as as uh, much as they need to?
2: Mm, Yes, uh, well, we believe that the media should not give coverage to extremists. And Mm. yesterday, for example, there was somebody burning the Quran outside Iraq's embassy here Mm. in Stockholm. Mm. So media should not be there and covering it in that way, because because it creates unrest, not only here. But look, our embassy in Iraq was burned down, Mm. and uh, if they had not reached the news, this would not happen. The media has to be sensible and not give air to extremists.
0: Absolutely. And Islamophobia causes division uh, in our society, but people may not perceive it as a bad thing. Now, in, in your view, what are the consequences of Islamophobia and how does it negatively impact our
2: society? Well, it affects Muslims uh, looking for job or looking for a residence. Uh, everything has an impact because of you have a Muslim name. The hijab, or even if you want to take leave for Muslim holidays. so these state of affairs has, uh, need not to be normalised. But we should be aware also that the general public in Sweden and other Western countries are not Islamophobic. Rather, there are a few, and uh, now they are most. Many of them are in power as well, so they would try to institutionalise it in different ways. Um, but we need to, as uh, Muslims, uh, act sensibly and uh, and show the beautiful teachings of Islam to change perception.
0: Absolutely, and, and you know, to be honest, that's my next question. Um, you know, you mentioned that this is the time where we enlighten the public about the beautiful teachings of Islam. Um, how have been, uh, you know, how has the community been tackling Islamophobia as a society so far? And do you think we can do more to tackle this issue?
2: So in Sweden, we've been working for years, traveling city by city to convey Mm. the teaching of Islam and also reaching out to other faith leaders and politicians. From today, actually, we are starting a three-day manifestation in five cities of Sweden, inviting people to ask questions about the Holy Quran and start dialogue. So from today and tomorrow and uh, Sunday we will do, be doing this. So we are acting proactively to, in order to counter this, and also on social media, we try to reach out. So we need to, of course, uh, with all our means, try to increase this work and try to reach more people, and we were trying to do that.
0: Absolutely, and remember I mean, you you've been travelling uh, down the country, um, you know, every so often, and. You know, you do meet the general public as well. Um, what What is uh, the reaction of the general public? You know, when they do hear Islam, do Do they have much knowledge of Islam as well, and its beautiful teachings, or is it just what they really hear in in the media, which most of the time so is the,
2: negative? The general public is against burning of Holy Quran, and the people we meet are now interested to learn more about Islam and they are very uh, appreciating of our efforts to reach out to them. So it is a very, uh, the time is ripe for mission and to spread the message. And uh, I think we should do it in all European countries where uh, these issues are highlighted now and then that we should be out on the streets. The should be the first community to reach out after these incidents and it's always perceived as very positive.
0: Absolutely, um, and you yourself personally have you we ever received any negative response as well from general public?
2: No, in, in the form of criticism, yes, and yes, but uh, that is why we are doing this. Every time we do it, so some people turn up uh, who are who are already made up their mind, but it is our duty to present to them very peacefully, respectfully. Uh, what we uh, believe in, uh, and uh, that we should say that the wrong notion about Islam presented by media, uh, you should not be let yourself be fooled by it. Try to meet Muslims, try to come to our mosques, and and uh, meet us personally. So this we try to do.
0: Absolutely. Uh, now, just one last question from myself, and then I'll hand the mic over to Brother Walid if he has any more questions. Do Do you think that countries should uh, consider making such acts of disrespect towards any religion illegal?
2: Well, uh, that will create problems, of course. Uh, We have these laws in Pakistan and look what is happening. Mm. But uh, we should, uh, the the law is already there. You're not allowed to discriminate. You're not allowed to incite hatred. You're not allowed to uh, degrade other people. So we should actually apply those laws who are already here. If you burn a Quran outside a mosque, that should not be seen as a protest against religion. Rather, it should be seen as a hateful act. Uh, but if you critique Islam, write books, and, and uh, so this should, uh, of course, be allowed so that we can uh, a book. Uh, if you write a book, you can reply to it. But if you burn a, a scripture, you cannot do any sound reply to it. So this should be open criticism, but hate speech should not be allowed.
1: Imam mean, Barik, you were mentioning earlier about uh, the importance of responding properly to this kind of provocation. What, as as a community, uh, is the Ahudi Muslim community doing?
2: So in Sweden, we've been writing articles for the last 10 years at least since I've been here, mm-hmm. uh, but other uh, as well. So we, everything that's happened, we write the teaching of Islam. Mm-hmm. We go out to each city and township, and have our stall, and that we invite people to speak to us. We have interreligious meetings, we have uh, also talks where we invite politicians about this, uh, so, and we have uh, our outreach on social media as well. So, Alhamdulillah, the viewpoint of imdia Jamaat is becoming clear to more and more clear to the Swedish society, and we are uh, we are actually at the forefront and doing this, and this is because we have a Khilafat and leadership that guides us, but we still need your prayers. We are very few here, the uh, many Muslims, but we are trying to reach out to as many as possible.
1: Uh-huh. And when it came to this particular incident, what specifically was was the response of the Amalim community? What did it do in so Sweden? Now we
2: have a three-day manifestation starting from today after Juma,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: tomorrow on Saturday and Sunday as well, where we'll be standing in five cities of Sweden and I invite people to dialogue and response. Uh, I also wrote an article uh, recently with the previous uh, Chief Justice of Sweden. We wrote it together that this should be considered a hate speech, and we are reaching out to people on social media, all kinds of people, and replying to that.
1: Mm-hmm. And wh- what do you, how do you see the future? Do you think that uh, there is uh, some movement in people being drawn to islam or is it at the moment uh, turning the other way where people are becoming more estranged with islam especially with the kind of islamophobia that exists in europe
2: there are both kinds of people those who already have their prejudice uh, they will be emboldened by this but i think that many people will be interested about the teaching of islam after this has happened so, this definitely invites us to, to be more active in our missionary work.
1: Okay. All right. Thanks very much, uh, Imam Vidik. Thank you very much for coming on to the show and I wish you all yes. the best in the work that you're doing. That
2: yes,
1: yes. Sounds Sound. good. Sounds Right. That was Imam Vidik. Uh, uh, Imam Toki, your thoughts, please.
0: Um, you know, th- listening to Imam Kashif uh, work. Uh, one of the verses of the Holy Quran uh, came into my mind that, uh, you know, Allah the Almighty says that do not uh, swear at the uh, deities over other religion, um, you know, and uh, later on in the verse it says that it may be that, you know, if you heard the sentiments of um, the deities of other people, they may hold the same abuse towards you. So, within this verse, you know, Allah the Almighty very clearly says that look, although there are freedom of religion, freedom of speech, or uh, in terms of your religion, but everything has a boundary. You know, there there are certain limits that you do not cross, and in terms of freedom of religion, you do not hurt the sentiments um, of other people, and just this incident you know the, uh, i'm just so surprised that you know the the police allowed this to happen outside of the mosque is just uh, it's just out of my mind that you know why why would they do that um, because it's only going to hurl more abuse it's only going to ignite uh, it's like adding uh, adding wood or adding uh, timber to to fire you know you're mm-hmm. going to you're going to cause um, more more uh, fire so uh, that, that that's one point I wanted to say here uh, while discussing these issues but in this particular issue in this topic you know we are discussing the Holy Quran as well um that the the whole issue has been that they have burned the Holy Quran and this is the this is the Islamic perspective um, I'll be looking at today mm-hmm. so s- safeguarding the Quran is a is actually a responsibility that Allah the Almighty he has taken on himself, uh, when we look at the Holy Quran and we find in Surah Hijr in uh, in chapter 15 verse 10 Allah the Almighty says in the Holy Quran in the name of Allah the Gracious the Merciful Verily we ourselves have sent down this exhortation and most certainly we will be its guardian and the Quran has been preserved in its enti- in entirety not only in letter but also in spirit, and every other divine scripture has been altered. But when we look at the Holy Quran, it is the only book that has remained unchanged in the face of constant attempts to interpolate and even uh, destruct it from the wrongful interpretations by extremists to the burning of the Quran that we see by the likes of the you know the right wing party strum curse and if all copies of the quran were to disappear from the world the reality is that you e- even if every single quran let's put it in a scenario that if every single quran was burnt on the face of earth um you know the quran will be preserved to the letter in fact it would be reproduced in a matter of days and this is the claim that no other scripture can make and you know we see that even at the time of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, when the Holy Quran was being revealed, there were many reciters at that time who would recite the Holy Quran from memory. And uh, there have been many expeditions where we found that uh, you know there have been hundreds of uh, of Muslims who have recited the Holy Quran from memory, um, and. The, the 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 beautiful thing is that even in in the five daily prayers we read the holy quran so allah the almighty he made these means possible that um, you know the holy quran can be easily memorized through its uh, eloquence through its easy way of memorizing so allah the almighty he made ways in how the quran it could be memorized in in a very easy way and in a beautiful manner and the second caliph has actually also spoken about this Azmuzha Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad, may Allah the Almighty be pleased with him Uh, he explains in tafsir e kabir uh, he said that if all copies of the Quran were to disappear from the world even then within a couple of days the entire Quran can be reproduced and we can instantly reproduce it to the letter, even in a small town like Qadir, not to speak of larger cities. And he said that one might wonder how this is possible. As mentioned, Allah the Almighty has promised to safeguard the Quran, and for this there are certain means of preservation in place to assure this. For example, since the beginning of Islam since the beginning of Islam up to this day, there. Have been up to this day, there have always been people who have committed the entire text to memory, and also the verses of the Quran were always written down and then compiled in a book form. And furthermore, uh, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, the founder of the Amdi Muslim community, he has also uh, spoken on this topic and at one place in his book, Brahina Amdiya. In part two, he said, he wrote that hundreds of thousands of Muslims know, know the Holy Quran, whole of the Holy Quran by heart, and thousands of commentaries have been written upon it. Its verses are read in prayers five times a day. It's recited by its followers daily, and millions of its books have been spread throughout the world, and its teachings have become known to the people of every nation. All these things compel. Sane reason to believe that it is impossible for any kind of interpolation or alternation to ever find its way into the Holy Quran. And uh, also, you know there there are other ways in which the Holy Quran can also be reserved preserved, which have been mentioned at length by the second caliph of the Amdia Muslim community, and uh, you can read more on this. Um, in uh, in Tafsir-e Kabir, um, in in his book in volume four, so therefore yes, although the burning of the Quran is extremely uh, inflammatory and provocative, this incident gives us proof of a living God who is all powerful, and despite all attempts, the Quran can never be erased. We should rejoice to know that no man can ever destroy what Allah the Almighty had vowed to preserve and safeguard and how should Muslims react to the burning of the Holy Quran so a question that naturally arises uh, is how can Muslim react to such behavior when similar events took place in Sweden in 2020 and at that time Azrat Khalifatul Masih the fifth head of the Amdi Muslim not only did he condemn the burning of the Quran but also He gave guidance on how Muslims should respond and during one of his uh, virtual uh, meetings he had um, with some of the members of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Sweden his Holiness said that the reason why this is happening is that they do not know the true teachings of Islam and the Holy Quran and moreover due to the actions of some extremists amongst Muslims these people they get the impression that such things might actually be written in the Holy Quran. They gra- they try to grab onto one verse that instructs the believers to do uh, kital or to fight, while it's overlooking the rest of the verses, which explain the circumstances or context enabling this permission. So these people should be made aware of these teachings and should make your should and you should make your plans to propagate the true teachings in accordance with this, and a violent response is never the answer. The only practical and effective response is to educate the masses about the true peaceful teachings of Islam. And to do so, we, we should first educate ourselves, and even better, and act on its teachings and become a living example of what this magnificent book stands for. This is what Islam is all about. Such a beautiful answer that His Holiness give, has given. I remember a couple of years back, uh, Brother Walid, when uh, mm. uh, you know they made caricatures of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, as well at that time. And uh, Muslims around the world, you know, they they took to streets, and uh, you know, we had incidents where even in France, you know, the one of the teachers. Who had uh, shown some caricatures of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, and he was um, Samuel Patti. He was uh, beheaded by one of one of the Muslims. So you know this this response is is very wrong, even from the Muslims. And as His Holiness said, that at this time, you know, your your task is to educate the public, and you know, first and foremost, that educate yourself, and then go out and educate the public as well, and. This is one thing I've noticed as well myself, uh, that, you know, we when uh, uh, within the youth, you know, and um, the youth members or within the um MD Muslim Youth Association in UK, when we do go out, we do give flyers regarding the true teachings of Islam. You know, the, you will get both sides of the coin where, you know, people are completely ignorant of Islam, but rather the views they have are very extreme. So it gives us a chance to make clarification to tell, let them know that you know what, that's not what Islam says and uh, that's not what we practice, um, so it's 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 very important um to engage in dialogue and and let people know you know this is what the true teachings of Islam and Islam, um, has always taught peace you know Allah Allah the Almighty in the Holy Quran. Uh, he very clearly says that if uh, you save a life, it is as if you have saved the whole of mankind, and uh, you know, the vice versa, that uh, you know, if someone has taken a life, it's as if that uh, you know, you you have done the complete opposite. Mm. So, highlighting this point is that Islam has always taught peace, and the book, the Holy Quran, is a perfect book. I mean, the word Quran itself. It literally means a book, which should be recited regularly, and you should ponder upon the Holy Quran as well. And uh, as I mentioned, that uh, you know there's great prophecies behind it, and we'll elaborate more on this after the news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. <laughs> Assalamualaikum peace be upon you and welcome back to the breakfast show you are joined by myself uh, Tukir Ahmad and brother polite here in the studio of voice of islam and we're discussing the topic of the holy quran and uh, you know the holy quran burning uh, which took place in sweden um, and we're looking at the beautiful teachings of of Islam and what it says regarding the Holy Quran. As mentioning before the news as well, that when we look at the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty, He Himself, uh, He claimed or He prophesized that uh, He is the one who has sent out this Holy Book, and He Himself will be His protector. Uh, the the Arabic verse is that Inna nahu nazzalna zikra wa Inna lahulaha and uh, this is in chapter 15 verse number 8 verse number 10 and the verse this furnishes a powerful proof of the truth of the Quran and its divine origin in fact the promise about the preservation of the Quran made in this verse had been so remarkably fulfilled that that even if there had been no other proof Of the truth of Islam, this alone would have sufficed to establish its divine origin. And if we look at a previous verse of the Holy Quran, if we look at verse 8, this contains uh, the demand mockingly made by disbelievers that if the Quran were, were really as grand a book as it was claimed to be, it ought to be descended under the guardianship of angels, And this ridicule of disbelievers had been answered in this present verse which empathetically says that the Quran is indeed a sublime book and that God himself had undertaken to act as its guardian and that he always protect it against every kind of corruption and interference and in in order that this promise about the protection of the Quran may still more force um, particles expression of special emphasis such as inna which means verily we and also nahnu which means ourselves and again Allah might use inna again in this verse and then lam, more surely um, have been used in this verse and thus the claim has been wa- made in the most empathetic and forceful language so the statement that God Himself has made that He Himself is the guardian of the Quran and does not uh, does not mean that angels do not guard it. They do. They also do so. Um, for when when the Master Himself is guarding a thing, the servants must also be necessarily engaged in that service. And by saying that, more sure, surely we will be its guardian. God, however, points to the fact that there are certain. Uh, peculiarities of the Quran which is beyond the power of angels and to God and therefore God himself has undertaken to do that work and what's interesting to note that when this verse was revealed according to Ibn Hisham it was revealed in the fourth year of the Holy Prophet's uh, ministry now we all know studying Islam that uh, the first thirteen years of the holy of the of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him when he made the claim, um, Muslims they they stayed in Mecca. and this was a time where you know Muslims were in minority; they were being heavily persecuted. Um, we find that uh, during this period as well, there was that two years of boycott as well. Which is known in uh, in history as the Amul Huzun, the 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 years of sorrow, and reason being is was that this was the time where Hazrat Khadija had passed away as well, um, you know, the wife of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. So it was a very very time, a fragile time for Islam itself, as uh, this is this was the time where the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he claimed to be that Prophet of God, and everyone had turned against him. You know, the people of Quraysh, his own people, uh, his own relatives, Abu Lahab, for example, we find had turned against him. So uh, Islam itself had faced many, many difficulties at that time. And it was at that time, uh, you know, Allah Allah the Almighty, he had revealed this verse that, uh, um, you know, he is the one who has revealed the Holy Quran to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and he himself would be its guardian. So, how beautifully Allah the Almighty had fulfilled it that um, at a time where Islam was uh, being heavily persecuted, Allah the Almighty revealed that He will protect the Holy Quran, and this is what we see throughout the life of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him. But not only that, even to this day, the the Quran we have right now, you know, it's that same revealed scripture that was revealed to the Holy Prophet peace be upon him. And this is not just the the Muslims that testify to the fact but, but even those individuals, those extreme extreme individuals who criticize Islam, even they themselves um, testify to the authenticity and uniqueness of the Holy Quran. For example, I'll give you an example, Sir William Muir uh, who has um, who is a well-known critic of Islam actually and, in his book which he has written, um, The Introduction to the Life of Muhammad, Peace be upon him. He himself has written, and I quote, He said that we may upon the strongest presumption affirm that every verse in the Quran is the genuine and unaltered composition of Muhammad himself. So he says that it's that same genuine and uh, unaltered a composition that was revealed to the holy prophet peace be upon him again he says at another place that there is otherwise every security internal and external that we possess the text which muhammad himself gave forth and used and again he says that to compare as muslims are fond of doing their pure text with the various readings of our scriptures is to compare things between which there is no analogy and so so the crux of the matter is that it is well known and it is what it is a great uh, prophecy of the holy Pro- of of god almighty of the holy prophet peace be upon him that allah the almighty has protected this scripture and it has become it is still pure. It still it is still un unaltered. And whereas if you compare this scripture to all other scriptures, you cannot compare it. You know, if you look at, for example, the Bible, uh, that that was that wasn't even uh, you know that was written much later, after the after the demise of Jesus, peace be upon him, uh, by 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 his uh, disciples. But even then, you know, if we if you study the Bible you you will find that there are canonical and uncanonical scriptures canonical meaning that uh, those scriptures were which were part of the bible and uncanonical meaning various scriptures uh, you know for example the book of barnabas that's not included in uh, in the actual text of the bible so there are many um you know different different parts w- w- which they did not include in uh, in the in the in the Bible, so whereas the Holy Quran, it is that same Holy Quran which was revealed to the Prophet Muhammad, peace and best of Allah the Almighty be upon him. Now, I, I wanted to read another aspect of of this um, this part as well. The so the importance of the security of the Quranic text is further enhanced when we compare it with other revealed scriptures, and the Qur'an was revealed among, among an un- illiterate people, while most other scriptures were revealed amongst people who were comparatively more literate and they were better qualified to preserve the purity of their scriptures, yet they failed to do so. While the Holy Qur'an, the most widely read of all revealed scriptures, in- enjoys complete immunity from all sorts of corruption, and this miraculous preservation of the Quranic text is no mere accident. It has been brought about by this special providence of God in accordance with an openly declared prophecy of the Quran. So, this means the, the means adopted to safeguard the purity of the text of the Quran have been briefly referred to. In the verse, in verse two, in the memorable words Al Kitab, the written book, and Quran, Quran Mubin, the illuminating uh, recital, signifying a that every verse of the Quran was committed to writing as soon as it was revealed, and this writing uh, was most uh, tenuously preserved, b that it was committed to memory as soon as revealed by a number of Muslims and this pious practice has increasingly continued so much uh, so that in the past centuries, hundreds of thousands of Muslims have had the entire Quran literally on the tips of their tongues. Add to this the fact that From the very beginning of Islam, the recital of parts of the Qur'an in the five daily prayers was made obligatory. And the following additional factors also materially contributed to the preservation of the Holy Qur'an. One is that God had inspired the Muslims with an extraordinary love for the Qur'an. They enjoyed the reading of the book even if they do not understand the meaning of the text. And this leads... Two, it's being preserved in their hearts. Number two, the rhyme of the Quran is so sweet and its tongue so charming and so easy to learn and the construction of its sentence is so beautiful that it can be committed to memory with great ease. And number three, that God so ordained that immediately after the Quranic revelation became complete, it spread far and wide to the remotest corners of the world among all nations and peoples so that it became practically impossible for anyone to tamper with its text and number four um, from the beginning the quran formed for muslims the basis of all sciences and learning they acquired and developed with the view to serving it And various branches of knowledge such as grammar uh, history philosophy and logic were Cultivated and developed by Muslims for the sake of a better understanding of the Holy Book, and God had preserved Arabic, the language of the Quran, as a living language, while the languages of all other revealed books uh, were not meant to last forever. Uh, have become particularly dead. So these these are some of the means that uh, you know the Holy Quran itself has has been protected and. I remember just a couple of years back as well. For review religion, they they did the um, the Kalam project as well, where members of the um, the Muslim community as well they they could partake in uh, writing v- verses of the Holy Quran as well, and through that they had completed the ho- the whole of the Holy Quran in in calligraphy in very neat writing as well. And you would find um, in history as well where. Uh, ma- many many people they had written the whole of the Holy Quran uh, by hand in a, in a beautiful format. So uh, we see that how Allah the Almighty has put that love of the Holy Quran in the hearts of Muslims. Um, quite often, uh, Brother Walid, you know, mm-hmm. you'll find uh, there are many Muslims as well. They they will take to the streets as well, um, and they'll ask the general public if they've ever heard of uh, of the Holy Quran um, and uh, wh- when they do hear the Holy Quran for the first time, you know you'll see how emotional they become. Um, you know the the melody, the the sweetness of the Holy Quran. Um, it, you know it moves the hearts of of people, not only Muslims but also um, you know who who people who are not Muslim, people of other faiths as well. P- people are moved by. Uh, by the recitation of the Holy Quran, and this is all uh, points to the fact that Allah the Almighty made said that you know He Himself who has sent down the Holy Quran, and He Himself who who will preserve it. So with that, we'll conclude this particular segment. Can and
1: can I just say something on this? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think um, uh, one of the um, uh, repercussions. of consequences of this particular act is that <clears throat> I think, uh, I may be wrong, that there has been uh, a greater maturity shown by, by the Muslim public. There hasn't been the kind of violent reaction that there has been in the past and these kind of provocative uh, uh, events have taken place and they have aligned themselves more to the way that uh, the Muslim community is uh, encouraging people, to, Muslims, to respond to this kind of uh, um, these kind of acts, um, and I think that maybe that has also to do part, uh, in part, with the way that the media is covering this, uh, that it hasn't tried to inflame the situation by sensationalizing the reaction of certain quarters if they have been inappropriate uh, and extended to to violence. So that's something that is 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 good to see, as far as the Ahmadi Muslim community is concerned in the UK. I know that, uh, like uh, what Imam Virik was saying, we were adopting very much the same uh, the same approach. We had immediately after that uh, particular event uh, was um, publicised, we had an event here where we got together leaders of different faiths and other. Uh, prominent individuals as well, uh, talking about the uh, virtue of uh, religious scriptures and exchanging scriptures. So the Holy Quran was given to uh, to um, uh, a Christian minister. A Christian minister was able to give his holy book to to us. So this kind of um, fraternity that was forged uh, uh, in response to that provocation was a positive way in how to respond, so that was good to see. The other thing that I think needs to be mentioned is this element of freedom of expression. The whole essence of having this kind of law and this kind of freedom is to actually promote understanding, to enrich our debate. Absolutely. And when we stoop down to burning a Quran, it doesn't do anything in that respect at all. It doesn't further debate. You can criticize, uh, criticize the book. You can say that it is, it, it is, it, it's not something that you think is believable, mm. that there are errors in it, uh, or its compilation is flawed. Uh, at least that would enrich uh, a debate and understanding. Um, but uh, to burn it doesn't further discussion or further understanding at all. So it flies in the face of the whole objective of having freedom mm. of face, mm. uh, freedom, of, uh, uh, freedom of expression, which is, which, uh, which is basically there to actually promote uh, our understanding. Um, and then the uh, final point that mm. I think needs to be mentioned is that when we're talking about um, these kind of societies that we're living in, uh, especially in the West, where they are multicultural, they're multireligious. And if you want to uh, live in harmony, in peace, then there has to be mutual respect. You have to be uh, sensible and sensitive to others' sensitivities. Uh, If uh, we try to trample over them, then yes, we we may think that we're promoting freedom of, uh, of speech, but at what cost? You're causing misery and tension in society that you don't want. And one of the points that uh, Imam Virik was uh, was making is that Islam is a religion of peace. If we want to have peace in society, especially those societies that are so diverse as we are, we we have in in Europe, then these kinds of provocations have to be avoided. We have to be sensible and sensitive to other people's feelings and uh, not trample over them uh, the holy prophet peace be upon him you know you've mentioned before was very sensitive to the people of uh, other faiths for example he admonished his his own uh, one of his best friends from declaring that uh, to a jew that uh, he was superior to moses mm-hmm. It was in line in order to maintain harmony, not to provoke. Absolutely. Uh, so although it is true, it was true, and it, it is true, that the holy prophets, uh, peace be upon him, had a, a, a more elevated status, we believe, mm. uh, spiritual status, this is our belief, than Moses. To brag about it and to trample over the feelings of others was not something that was conducive to uh, ushering in and maintaining a, a peaceful society. So these kind of um, understandings uh, uh, have to be taken on board. We uh, need to be uh, more mature and sensible in how we conduct ourselves. And uh, these kind of uh, licences, where people can uh, at will uh, do what they want in order to uh, hurt others, others' uh, feelings, should uh, should not be condoned at all, and should be condemned in The strongest terms, so I don't agree with the with where we started yeah, with yeah. Mr. Stoltenberg that it's not illegal, it is, uh, it should be something that um, is wholly uh, condemned and should be made illegal, Absolutely. in my view. Anyway.
0: Yeah, I mean, so, so it's a very like uh childish response, yes. isn't it? Um, it? It's not mature in any way, and mm-hmm. you know, as you mentioned, that. You know, if, if there is maybe an issue, then you know they should address it, or in mm. uh, maybe there should be a sitting, or they they should get their point across in a very mature way, right? Mm. Then maybe just to take up the streets and uh, create a lot
1: more chaos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Anyway, um, we have to move on um, in this uh, and to look at the second of our main topics, which is. Uh, depression, gender differences, uh, is something we picked up from Science News. And uh, what this particular feature was uh, stating is essentially this, that uh, during the latest round of data collection in uh, the autumn of 2021, over 17,000 students uh, from 31 states, uh, this is in America, responded to roughly 100 questions relating to mental health, uh, suicidal thoughts, and behaviors, sexual behavior, substance use or abuse, and experiences of violence. One chart in particular garnered considerable media attention. Apparently, from 2011 to 2021, persistent sadness or hopelessness in boys went up 8 percentage points from 21 to 29. In uh, girls, it rose a whopping 21 percent points from 36 to 57 percent. Uh, Depression manifests differently in boys uh, and men than in girls and women. Mounting uh, evidence suggests and girls are more likely to internalize feelings while boys are more likely to externalize them. Rather than crying when feeling down, for instance, boys may act uh, irritated or or lash out, or they may engage in risky, impulsive, or even violent acts. Inward-directed terms like sadness and hopelessness miss those more typically male tendencies, and masculine norms that equate sadness with weakness may make males who are experiencing those Emotions less willing to admit it, even on an on, on, on an anonymous survey. Um, the uh, diagno- diagnosing of depression in boys and men, uh, when dealing with that, the idea of depression in men in men is not new. Uh, take what happened on the Swedish island of Gotland in the nineteen sixties and seventies; suicide rates were high. So in 1983, health officials launched an education program for Gotland doctors on depression treatment and suicide prevention. Men struggling with suicidal thoughts appear less likely to seek help and more likely to have doctors ignore their depressive symptoms when they do seek help. Uh, Wolf uh, Roots, then a psychiatrist at uh, Gotland uh, Hospital, he theorized in 1996 yeah, this is in the Nordic Journal of Psychiatry, uh, that uh, this is the case. Doctors observed, for instance, that men who were depressed often didn't uh, present with classic symptoms such as sadness, but instead presented as hostile, impulsive, and aggressive. Ruth suspected that this gender disparity in a diagnosis and treatment might underpin why at the time men in Sweden were being diagnosed with depression half as often as women, but dying by suicide five times as often. Without obvious signs of depression, which noted to the outside observer, many male suicides occurred seemingly without warning. Uh, And uh, he wrote, the criteria of depression that are taught in psychiatric textbooks and diagnostic manuals today and which also have been used in the Gotland Project, seemed inefficient in detecting the typical masculine way of being depressive. Uh, to end of quote. Too many boys and men uh, are suffering in silence, uh, Rice says, who is also a principal research fellow at the University of Melbourne. 10 or 11% of missed cases might sound like a small percentage he says, but at the population level, that is huge. Um, So the question one one can ask is that is depression, um, is this in fact depression or is it something else what we're talking about? The idea that acting out and aggression could on occasion constitute symptoms of depression, well, that remains controversial. That's not to say that boys aren't struggling. Um, As here, uh, and it says, Anecdotally, for instance, teachers are reporting a spike in behavioural patterns in their classrooms, particularly among boys. But rather than indicating depression, ATSA says such behaviour is emblematic of the broader mental health crisis among teens. That might <coughs> sound like splitting hairs. If boys are distressed, why not label them as depressed? Uh, providing the uh, proper diagnosis matters for appropriate treatment and future health outcomes. Uh, Atiyah says, and uh, he also says, we know that depressive symptoms in uh, adolescents have long-term implications for health and mental health. I don't know that the research is as conclusive about that for uh, uh, behavior studies in the classroom. For McDermott, uh, who studies the difficulties of measuring depression, such uh, uh, behavioural problems could indicate other disorders, chiefly attention deficit uh, or hyperactivity disorder. But he has no doubt that some of those boys are depressed. It is hard to say with 100% certainty that all boys who are acting out or are experiencing depression, but it is a good bet that many of them are uh, that's what he says. Um, so there's a lot more um, that can be said as to what is being reported in Science Daily regarding this. Um, maybe a bit um, too much to absorb uh, for Friday morning uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, while you're having a breakfast or uh, planning your uh, trip to take uh, your kids to school. Um, but uh, certainly a very important issue. And uh, uh, if the um, data is correct, then it is uh, an issue that is uh, is is growing and is uh, is becoming um, uh, more prevalent so it's something that needs to be taken into account
0: absolutely and uh, we will be uh, now starting to look at the islamic perspective of uh, of this particular topic and to start off we do have a clip of his holiness azam zam surah head of the indian muslim community uh, may allah be yourself, so He's given guidance about depression and anxiety, and uh, you know he he was asked the question, "What is your view on mental health?" So uh, let's listen into the guidance which His Holiness has given.
2: My question is: Depression and anxiety are becoming very common these days. Hazur, can you please provide guidance regarding this matter, and what is your view about mental health?
3: It is because. We have, we are involved too much in the materialistic things. The the preference order of our desires and our wishes has changed. And instead of seeking Allah's love and Allah's closeness, we are running after worldly things. This is the main cause of it and uh, when your desires are not fulfilled you cannot uh, get whatever you want, then you become frustrated and then that frustration leads to anxiety. So this is what Allah Ta'ala has said in the Holy Quran, Allah wa zikrillahi tatmainu that remembrance of Allah is the best way for the satisfaction of your heart, right? So if you remember Allah, whenever you have any problem, you bow before Allah, you offer your five daily prayers fervently, sincerely, then Allah will give comfort and satisfy your heart, right? and resultantly you will feel comfortable and better. And uh, most of the patients nowadays who are having uh, this anxiety problem are because they are too much inclined towards worldly things. So, if you try to get closer to Allah then at least 80% of your anxiety will finish, okay? So you are lucky that Allah Ta'ala has given you the chance to be the member of that community who is uh, following the, the reformer of the age, the promised Messiah, whose advent was foretold so he has asked us that instead of running after worldly things, you try to get closer to your Creator. And that is a, that will give you satisfaction and comfort. OK?
2: JazakAllah.
3: OK. Aslamu alaykum. Uh, such a, uh, I think,
0: very beautiful answer that His Holiness has given. Um, to to the mem- one of the young members of the Muslim community in tackling depression or anxiety or having any sort of a mental health issue and and a very um, I think a very spiritual answer there that uh, you know when we do see Allah the Almighty as Al qadir that you know He is all powerful then uh you know who who better to to help than Allah the Almighty Himself and uh you know members of the community and also uh, you know those uh guests as well uh who are not the members but they do visit the Amdiya Muslim communities as, as well they'll realize from various events such as the one we have coming now the Jalsa Salana you know the uh, or any of the peace symposium or any mosque openings or, um, you know, that event we do have as well. People often say that, you know, I, I have such a spiritual vibe coming into this place. Um, I remember one of my good friends uh, who came and, and he saw the mosque over here for the big iftar. He's a Christian himself. And uh, he came in and he and he went to the mosque. He saw everyone praying as well. And he said that, you know, I'm feeling I'm spiritually being uplifted. And, and he said that the same feeling I used to have when I used to meet my priest, you know, I'm getting that same sort of feeling when I'm coming to the mosque as well. Um, and it, it was just I could so I could just resonate. I could just relate to to him as well, how how he was saying that, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, as Allah, the Almighty, in the Holy Quran, it says that Allah is a al al that verily in the remembrance of heart, that, you know, uh, our hearts find comfort, then truly, you know, we should incline towards God. And uh, this is something, this is a message which the Ahmadiyya Muslim community continuously highlights as well. And, uh, Jalsa which is coming now as well um it's it's a spiritual re- revolution revenu- uh, re- re- uh, <laughs> re- revolution that's yeah. the word uh, that's the word that's that's what uh, you know sometimes you need um a bit of a tonic you know just yeah. just to get the get the blood blood Reunition, running again yeah. in the body you know so uh, being spiritually uplifted and this is um, this is what Allah the Almighty says. This is what Allah the Almighty says that remember Him, and uh, this can be done through prayers as well. This can be done through zikr as well. This can be done through a big gathering as well, where you are talking about Allah the Almighty and a beautiful, um, you know, a narration of of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, where. He says that uh, a a um, gathering where Allah the Almighty is being remembered, the angels, they descend upon the, such gatherings and uh, they, they cover that gathering with their wings and they pray for those people as well, that Allah the Almighty have uh, mercy on those individuals as well. And in this narration actually, what's interesting <laughs> is that uh, there's a narration that in such gathering, it says that there was also an individual who was maybe just passing by. He didn't want to, uh, you know, he 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 didn't want to be maybe part of the gathering, or he himself uh, was a sinner, or he wasn't maybe that close to God, mm-hmm. um, and he ended up joining that. Um, that gathering and the angels then go to the, the Allah, the almighty, and they would ask Allah, the almighty uh, that, what, what will we do about that individual, you <laughs> mm-hmm. know, who's just passing by mm. and, uh, Allah, the almighty, who is the all merciful will say as well that, uh, he he is also amongst the gathering, mm-hmm. and he through his mercy will forgive that individual as well. So such gatherings mm-hmm. are very blessed, and you know we should partake not only in um, praying to Allah the Almighty, but such gatherings where the uh, the zikr, the remembrance of Allah the Almighty, is remembered. We should attend such gatherings as uh, this is a means of attaining the pleasure of Allah the Almighty as well. And uh, I just wanted to make that uh, one point as well. Um, we we do have another clip for our listeners and this is from the program, um MTA program called Balanced. And uh, this looks at discussions on challenges that one can come across in our daily lives and how we can address those issues uh, through the teachings of Islam. And uh, the topic of discussion in one of the programs is mental health. Uh, So we do have a short clip for our listeners to listen from.
4: Typically, who suffer from anxiety, they experience a range of symptoms. Some of them are excessive worry about their children, about work, school performance, financial issues when there is no direct threat to it. Mm -hmm. And some people also experience their heart beating goes very fast. They feel short of breath, chest tightness, muscle gets really tight Mm -hmm. and one common symptom is upset stomach. Mm-hmm.
2: So these sound like very common you know, symptoms that we've probably all felt at some stage
0: mm-hmm.
4: or another. So it seems like it's a very individualized condition.
0: Are we able to treat it, and if so, how?
4: Yes, it's treatable, and treatment typically involves uh, prayer, meditation, lifestyle changes, psychotherapy or a talk therapy and if none of them works, then we move towards the medication. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so we can start with simple techniques like to relaxation techniques, deep breathing exercises, saying some Shrif or saying salat on time or nawafil. Mm-hmm. In Quran, Allah says, when I get ill, it is he who restores me to health. Mm-hmm. So we should keep in our mind whether it's a physical, mental or spiritual illness mm-hmm. We have to uh, turn towards Allah, a Shafi, mm-hmm. to get the, the heal. uh, healing yeah. mm-hmm. exactly. And other common things which we can do is affirming the positive self-talk. That plays a big role. Just mm-hmm. when you get anxious, you tell yourself, "I'm okay, it's just mm-hmm. the anxiety. I'm mm-hmm. going to get over with it. Mm-hmm. Talking to a friend, whom you can trust mm-hmm. because when it comes to the mental health trust is a big issue mm-hmm. whom you who you can trust about mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. so whom you can trust and talking to that friend is very also makes a big difference mm-hmm, mm-hmm. also just thinking about the present rather worrying about the future because mm-hmm. nobody can predict the future mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so these are the simple things mm-hmm. which we can introduce on, mm-hmm. in our lives to help mm-hmm. us
0: uh, another very uh, interesting uh, uh, points uh, from this program balanced uh, which is uh, which looks at discussions on challenges that one can come across in our daily lives and how we can address these issues with the teachings of islam and uh, they were just discussing the topic on mental health so as i was mentioning earlier that uh, you know when we we should remember allah the almighty and we should prostrate before allah the almighty and prayer it exercises in in the body and uh, it relaxes the mind it reminds the believer that he or she is not in total control but that there is a higher power that controls everything and we can only tie up our camels and implore his help prayer reduces Rumination as one hands over one's worries and concerns to Allah and implores to Him, it is in His mercy to remove them. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned the verse before, that those who believe and whose hearts find comfort in the remembrance of Allah, a eh, it is the remembrance of Allah that hearts find comfort. So the verse means that believers will enjoy the blessings and favors of God in a greater measure and that even con, even convinced by man happy shall be their their final abode and happy indeed is he who who whose end is happy and uh, another very beautiful verse of the holy quran as well which further elaborates uh, this verse is the the verse that fina subulana <laughs> And this is from chapter 29 verse 70 that Allah the Almighty says In the name of Allah the Gracious, the Merciful And those who strive in our path, we will surely guide them in our way So Allah the Almighty, He says that whoever strives or He tries to come closer to Allah the Almighty Then Allah the Almighty, through His mercy, He will show them the way the ways of allah the almighty and this is further elaborated by a narration of the holy prophet peace be upon him where um allah, the, where the holy prophet peace be upon him says and he shows the love of allah which he has for his people and he says that if you walk one step towards allah the almighty then allah the almighty in return he will step two two times towards you and if you walk towards Allah the Almighty, then Allah the Almighty, his reply would be that he would run towards you. So this just shows uh, the love Allah the Almighty has for his people. Um, another hadith says that uh, Allah the Almighty, he loves you more than a mother, more than uh, 70 mothers, I believe, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, I did know so. about 70 mothers, uh-huh. That he loves you more than seventy mothers. So, mm-hmm. and and you know that that love that naturally um, you know we have for our mothers, uh, it's very pure. And you know your mothers, often uh, we don't even say that you know they closely monitor you and they look at the slyest things. And Allah the Almighty, He 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 it says that He He loves us more than seventy mothers. So this is the love that allah the almighty has for for his for that believer who believes in him who prostrates towards him uh, but you know allah the almighty says that it should be sincere if someone does prostrate towards allah the almighty then it should be sincere with a pure heart you know there should be no motives behind that and uh, allah the almighty says that he he will reply to that believer Furthermore, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he said that Do not be jealous of each other and do not boycott each other. Do not hate each other and do not contrive against each other. And be all of you brothers to each other, O servants of Allah. So a profound message is summed up in the motto given to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community by the third Caliph of, of Ahmadiyya, Azim was Nasir Ahmad, that love for all, hatred for none. And if practiced, this can eliminate eliminate the the root of many emotional ailments in the society at large. And positive religious coping strategies like religious openness, facing uh, extensional questions and religious participation um, are associated with reduced depressive symptoms uh, and with improved post-traumatic recovery according to emerging research. And all of us want to bring spirituality in our lives, but do not know where to start. And below are some of the examples that uh, will help build our spirituality and good mental health. Number one is that contemplation and self-reflection. So the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he at one place said that there is no wisdom like reflection. So the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was highly self-reflective and he used to reiterate to a cave on Mount Hera to spend his time in contemplation and meditation. And one of these extraordinary occasions he found his creator reflecting on nature and the attributes of God improves your communication with him. And self-exploration is one of the best tools used in Uh, physiotherapy sessions to understand a person's strengths and weaknesses and it examines the unrealized spiritual intellectual capabilities that can be used as a preservative strategy to examine core values and uh, I think I'll just mention two more now mindful meditation and mindful is a practice of being aware and fully present in the ongoing moment it is a powerful tool that facilitates us to be more conscious about our physical, emotional and mental states. And without being bogged down by self-criticism and judgment, oftentimes insecurities cloud our perceptual mind and preventing us from noticing the pleasant things in life. And this is a type of meditation that offers both deep re- relaxation and insight and it aids in preventing the constant tug of war between thoughts and emotions it helps develop the ability that will free us from the grasp of our ego and mindfulness improves our um, improves us the ability of reflection upon one's state of mind to have insight into what one's feeling and why and lastly is uh, lastly which i wanted to mention was community and religious services. So the help and support derived from members and leaders of religious communities are widely considered as a key mediator between mental health and spiritual development. And a spiritual community creates a sense of belongingness and initiatives and social engagements and connections, thereby protecting people from isolation and loneliness, which are, you know, procurers of depression and suicidal um, ideation and they are also a source of spiritual support in times of adversities and these communities also help nurture a sp- child's spiritual needs by introducing a spiritual practices early on and you know this th- this itself is very true as well um, you'll realize that working with communities you know where you're working for a good cause and uh, it'll increase the brotherhood amongst uh, individuals as well as as we are having the annual uh, convention as well um, you know a lot of youngsters are going to the uh, Hadikatul Mehdi side they're serving and you know you'll see with your eyes as well you know they're having uh, they're working as well at the same time but also they're having a lot of fun you know they're they're vibing with one another they're sitting down you know just just getting to know each other and that itself. Um, is a great way of tackling such issues as isolation, loneliness, and depression as well. Um, Brother Fleet, anything else uh,
2: you wanted to add? No,
1: um, I think this last point you're making is very relevant. I think that uh, the way that the community is organized and the way it operates uh, gives a lot of opportunity for uh, youngsters to connect uh, together. Um, I say this because... um, one young uh, man was attracted to the community because of this very feature. Mm-hmm. And uh, he eventually he, he accepted uh, to become a member of this community because of the brotherhood it offered. Mm-hmm. So this is this is certainly very, very, very important. And the other point also you mentioned about, um, you know, uh, sensing peace when you're in a mosque or when... when uh, when people are praying that observers have mentioned this. This is very true, um, because, and is often expressed by visitors who come to the mosque. Even yesterday, I remember, uh, three ladies just wanted to come Mm -hmm. and uh, Mm -hmm. have a look at the mosque. And when they entered the um, main hall where prayers are offered at Bethafuthu, they all gasped and said, you know, they can feel a sense of peace overcoming them, mm, mm. you know. So this is is very true. And you know, the other thing I wanted to say is that, um, you know, although prayer is um, um, that re- re- remembrance of God is is important, but sometimes even those people who are uh, very prayerful also have find sometimes that they fall. Uh, into depression, mm. and I remember reading the memoir of uh, Rafik, who was the Imam of the London Mosque, mm. that he said that uh, at one time he also started to suffer from depression, mm. and uh, and he's somebody who was very very prayerful. That mm. that is mm. uh, something that is uh, that shines out from uh, reading about his life. He's written a biography and he says that uh, for some reason i became very depressed and he started to take uh, medicines that had no effect uh, or very little effect he mm. went uh, he said that uh, and his um, remedy to anything that was uh, in terms of difficulty or a problem was to resort to prayer that is something that was very characteristic of him. And he said, this is what he did. So he went, he said he, during that period, he had uh, the opportunity to go to Hajj and he prayed profusely there, but again, nothing doing. Then he says that um, he also had the opportunity to go to Qadian the birthplace of the um, the Muslim community, the birthplace of the Prophet Messiah, prayed at the special, uh, <clears throat> enclosure there, the battle uh, uh, uh and again nothing doing and then eventually he says that uh, in Kaliyan he uh, saw a dream, and in that dream uh, there was an appearance I think of an individual he hmm. says, and the individual says to him, Your depression is cured and he says from that day on, I had no symptoms of depression at all wow. so Even if you have uh, and are attached uh, and are uh, aware of God and are prayerful, depression can still hit you. Mm -hmm. But then the remedy also lies in remembering God Mm -hmm. and in being more prayerful. And in this case, it was uh, was something that was uh, evidenced. Uh, And it is a very uh, remarkable story. And I relate this to my children as well. To impress upon them the importance of, uh, of prayer and uh, the the example that he has set. So we're coming to the end now. I've spoken too long, <laughs> <laughs> I think, but uh, coming to the end of the show. And um, thank you to our producer, Barira Mansour, and Dr. Saqib, uh, Saqib Ahmed, uh, PhD. Thank you also to the researchers, Neha Latif, Basma, Maha Iftikhar, Yusra Khan, and Aman Mir. And uh, gratitude should also be given to Muhammad Shafiq, our engineer, making sure everything ran smoothly in the uh, in the control room. And uh, finally, uh, thank you to all our listeners for joining in, listening to the show. Do please uh, join us again Monday to Friday at the uh, next time that we have the breakfast show from 7 to 9 uh, and it's until then, salam alaikum from both myself and Marabisa.